Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Daddy Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflow and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite and a very eventful show, Michael Sidgwick. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was going to say one thing right off the bat, right out of the gate. I hold this company to an exceptionally high standard, and I will never stop doing that. I hate impromptu matches. I might be very pedantic about it. It might be a specific pet hate, but it's mine. It's a pet hate nonetheless. They didn't impromptu match on this show, which was otherwise mostly legitimately phenomenal. There were things on this show, the level of detail applied to certain segments that I was just in love with, which pisses me off all the more when they go for easy, lazy tropes because I know what they're capable of, and I hold them to that goddamn standard, right? It is... What's the date? Last on, last night's Dynamite. 9th of February. 9th of February, 2022, right? The very first episode of AEW Dynamite was on October 2, 2019, right? We're coming up to three years without an impromptu match, and then that record, sadly, has been broken, right? What was scheduled for those 20 minutes? <laughs> what was scheduled on that show for those 20 minutes until, conveniently, a match materialized that 999 times out of 1,000, Tony Khan has gone, right, that sounds like a good match. I'll book it for next week, or I'll book it for Rampage. Right. The reason why they don't do impromptu matches is because they agree with my goddamn opinion, which has pissed some people off on Twitter. If they didn't agree with my opinion on Twitter, they would have done this far more often than they have. What's happened here is that while they usually agree with my goddamn opinion, hence why we haven't seen one in almost three goddamn years, is Tony Khan, God love him, I do too. He gets excited about certain things. Hmm. He gets excited about Bobby Fish for six weeks. He gets excited for 2.0 for six weeks. He gets giddy about technical wrestling in the main event with Brian Danielson against an opponent that, uh, that he's never going to get beat off. But I love watching Danielson technical matches for six weeks. <laughs> he got giddy about surprises last night. Jay White, Keith Lee. Oh, I'm getting giddy. One more. Surprise impromptu match with the Crazy Dream pairing, which was awesome, by the way, but I hated the way it was mm. set up. And they, too, hate the way it's set up because if they didn't agree with that, they wouldn't have waited this goddamn long to do it. There's a reason why they don't do it, and the reason why is because 
AEW is meant to be the uh, competitor, the alternative to WWE, which does this bollocks, this plot hole-ridden bollocks every single goddamn week, and it's artless, and they hate it, obviously, AEW. Otherwise, they wouldn't have become the goddamn alternative to WWE. It completely ruins suspension of disbelief. You can ask a simple question that ruins the fact that, oh, this is happening, and it shouldn't be. I've been dying on this hill <laughs> since 2016 at the earliest when I first started covering professional wrestling professionally. I'm not going to budge on this stance. One, because it happened once. And two, because a company with a different set of initials promoted it this time. Mm. I think the guy just got giddy with the surprises. Hence, once again, why he broke the rule that I agree with and they agree with. Otherwise, I would have done it before now. Hopefully it's a one-off. Hopefully you just got giddy with surprises. At the end of the day, this is a very subjective thing. It's my hill to die on. Mm -hmm. I'm going to die on this hill, whether WWE's written on this hill, AEW's written on this hill, New Japan Pro Wrestling's on this hill. I'm going to die on this hill. I'm going to happily die on this hill. Mm. <laughs> this is what I like about you. First of all, you've got heart. <laughs> I like that. But also your principle. I think that's absolutely fair enough. This isn't you coming in and going, well, everyone seems on social media to be loving this show, and I'm just going to piss on everyone's I love most of it. And we should say as well, Hamlet, this is once again the scale that we base it on. Like if SmackDown was this show, mm -hmm. on Monday you and I would be coming in and going, SmackDown's mint, lads. Like it's gone incredibly good. And you still would say, well, he's do an impromptu match. And it's like, yeah, yeah, sure, but he's still be doing it. We what we can get. With AEW, as we often say, we hold them to our hair standard. I really enjoyed this show. There was stuff that pissed me off. One thing that really keeps pissing me off. Your hill to and die I on. To, this I is your to, hill to die I on. I need to work out why this is. I don't understand why I get so annoyed by this week in and week out, but we'll get to that. But, Hamlet, you had a, a great analysis when, when I came to the office this morning and, as to what this show compared to. Well, I, I I was one of the people that loved this show and celebrated everything I enjoyed about this broadcast. If for nothing else, finally, one of Tony Khan's tweets actually came true. He promised that somebody would walk through the forbidden door and slam it in their ex-employer's face. And they did. And that man was Triple H. Because he booked Dynamite last <laughs> night and he did a fantastic <laughs> job of it. Yeah, look, the comparisons to 2019 NXT, which, again, like I was... I was like, so happy when Super Treat that, because there's my mate, there's my friend, there's my colleague, there's the man who you had to, like, keep us apart in late 2019, as, like, shared love, but different philosophies clashed weekly, in the most enjoyable of ways, because, like, two competing wrestling shows were trying to do their best versions of their, their best selves for our, well, our eyes, viewing figures, all that sort of stuff, and... I loved this as an experience. I, I've not enjoyed a Dynamite as an experience in quite a long time. We've talked on this podcast at length about formatting issues, about uh, slapdash tropes and going to the well a bit once too often and stuff like that. This felt like such a more satisfying two-hour experience than even last week's Dynamite, which had that incredible match with an incredible finish with an awesome um, Brian and Moxley opening segment and a bunch of trash in the middle. Like, this was a far better, like, felt like a um, more energetic and interesting format over two hours even. But with that, like, buried within that was this feeling of what you could see in 2019 NXT, which was a little bit of desperation, a little bit of, like, drama that was earned to a point, but often just, I don't know, a bit cheap, a bit of a cheap thrill. Empty calories, like I love empty calories. Mm -hmm. They're one of my biggest vices. But what happens when I eat too many of them? I get really unhealthy. I get really fat. And if I kept on doing it, I would die. And that's what happened to NXT. Ultimately, it got so bloated on its own empty calories that it died. AEW won't do that. 
I don't think. But Cedric tweeted this morning, and I complimented it on main. Like, our fans will forgive us because this conversation has already happened. But I was like, I was watching it thinking, he's not going to feel good about this. And there was like a couple of times in the show where I could see it. And then after the fact, I was just, once the show had finished, there was so many little individual comparison points that you could make to think, oh, that energy was so like late 2019. When I, and when NXT was on the charge as well. So like either side of Survivor Series, when you could feel our ratings win and it proved to be a singular ratings win but you could sort of feel one coming and it was like this can't last forever but they're going to get one they're absolutely going to stick one on AEW and it's going to come soon and then it took me all the way back to the Khan tweets and then I thought has he had his first little panic at the Punk MJF number like the feud in the company featuring a major like household name star and a homegrown talent it's disappointed it's underwhelmed and he's, for the first time ever, as Triple H was doing then, had a, a bit of a wobble. And is that, is that why we've seen a show that maybe only had three things announced beforehand? And I know there was only one impromptu match, as Cedric points out, but where was the trademark AEW detail of a wrestler grabbing Tony Schiavone and saying, listen, I've lost my match tonight because of these dickheads. I want it. And then you can go, ah, they're always thinking, I love that sort of thing. Or where was the announcement of the Deeb stuff or the Jade Cargill stuff days before, not... I'm presuming because I didn't see it hours before on yeah, Twitter. Well, we, it, like the, it's that was the as as much as anything. As much as the show that I loved, like I loved another flawed show in 2019 as well. Can I just say before we delve into the details, I thought this show was very, 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 very good without <laughs> quite approaching great. And there was a moment on it that I'm going to effusively praise as literally perfect, without flaw, seminal. The way you should absolutely do this thing, perfection. Mm. But you, you're right. I mean, we were sat here yesterday. We had, I think, four bullet points sat in front of us. You had the inner circle stuff. Obviously, the Texas death match. MJF making his statement and the, the huge announcement, the mystery opponent for Isaiah. Um, so one match. Uh, of those four. Two, two matches. matches. Two, Isaiah Cassidy versus oh, yeah, sorry, question yeah, mark. Yeah. And, and, yeah. So we were sat here going, and I had to say, oh, Danielson and Moxley, maybe? And it's like, it's very rare that we have to scrabble around for a fifth talking point. Yeah, but even if you don't announce everything, it's an, an impromptu match is worse than a match that is, like, feasibly, viably put on a broadcast with a time limit mm. explaining how it can go only so long, etc. right? It's quite another thing to just say, oh, this match is happening, and it makes sense that's happening, but we didn't think enough to promote it. Like, what does that say? Like, what does that say, realistically? Not least when it comes off the back of a show opening promo, yeah. which itself has got these connotations of, oh, this is the f- this is how the fake wrestling show does it, rather than the sports emulation yeah. one. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about when there's a title match as well that you don't promote at least Texas a day death in advance. Ma- Texas death match that started, what, 15 minutes left on the show, maybe? It's like, oof, going to put someone down for a 10 count. Look yeah. at the size of these mm. bastards. And Anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's get to that when we get to it. Let's start uh, with a... Or oh, not a red carpet, a Burberry carpet for the uh, opening segment. Of course, this opened the show. Um, Wardlow actually walked down first with two cardboard gutouts. Uh, MJF choking out CM Punk or standing tall after he's choked out CM Punk and uh, and sitting cross-legged, of course, uh, celebrating his victory. He does not look happy that he's been given this job, but he sets him up in the ring uh, and then informs Justin Roberts of the... Uh, Announcements he has to make for the likes of FTR, Tully Blanchard, Sean Spears. And then we finally get to um, MJF's introduction, which has been even brought out. Uh, well, Sean Spears has brought out a blue 
folder, Manila folder, to uh, carry all the details that Justin Roberts needs to include. I didn't write them all down, but it did include uh, talking about how he beat Punk twice in the garbage heap that is Chicago in the mid, mid, mid West. Um, he comes out, he's getting carried on a throne, uh, and then well, as he's about to get into the ring, he gets a little peck on the cheek from one of the women, and then necks off with the other one. <laughs> Uh, and then he says, cheers to us, gets in the ring. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, gets on the mic and starts talking about about his previous seven days. Uh, he says, it's clear, I am the best wrestler on the planet. Um, he talked about getting emotional, being CM Punk, so much so that he leaned over uh, CM Punk and said, simple two words, you suck. <laughs> uh, he says, actually, you know what? I thought about this. I'm better than the best in the world. And you know what? I couldn't have done it. Without that big, strapping, muscular man, Sean Spears, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Wardlow's, again, just seething in the background of this entire thing. Uh, but Spears has actually got a gift for MJF. He's got a new T-shirt. Better than the best in the world. So good for being so bad. Mm-hmm. He says he's better than Brett in Canada, Piper in Portland. Another bloody Piper reference there. Uh, and Punk in Chicago. And you know what? It's time he became the new world champ. But before we can go any further, CM Punk interrupts. He's got Tony Schiavone there. Uh, and he says, MJF, your win in Chicago is about as suspect as your spray tan. Uh, but he realizes, look how many of the people, the pinnacle are in the ring. He's going to lose the numbers game here. So he's got himself some friends. And out comes Darby Allen and Sting. And everyone's got a baseball bat. Uh, Punk says he wants a rematch. And MJF says, no chance. And he says, oh, I wasn't talking to you. I want a rematch with Wardlow. And he offers Wardlow uh, a chance to leave MJF behind, effectively. And MJF is furious with all this, of course. Anyway, Dax grabs a mic. He's, he's angry about dressing in a suit. Uh, so he doesn't look good in it. He's comfortable in his fighting attire. He wants a rematch as well. And uh, Punk says, hey, all you have to do is ask. We're down. Three on three. MJF says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not wrestling in bloody Atlantic City. So I'll tell you what. I'll do your deal. If you and a partner can beat FTR tonight, I'll give you a match anytime, anywhere. But it can't be Darby Allen or Sting. Let's see if you've got any friends knocking about back there. And just to make sure he doesn't pick Wardlow, he tells Wardlow, suit up because you're in action next. This is the best possible version of a thing that I absolutely inherently despise. Simple as that. This actual segment of television was absolutely incredible. The amount of detail applied to all of this, you could just feel people in love with their craft and incredible at their craft putting this thing together. Wardlow, there's a comparison with Wardlow given that the arc he's on with the Triple H and Batista thing. Yes. He's also an absolutely awesome musclehead guy with a power-based repertoire, but he's already at the level of Batista is now doing genuinely good character acting in Hollywood because he can act. He can act. His expressions are great. It's everything of that exposition. He doesn't just do the same faces. Like, he looked embarrassed out there with the cardboard cutouts. He didn't look, like, silently miffed, which he can do, or, like, a little bit at the end of his tether. He looked mm-hmm. legitimately embarrassed out there. He was great. Cash Wheeler, happier than a pig inch. He looked great. Flicking his hair back as he Flicking walked down the ramp. Wonderful mullet. They all look just ecstatic at being dickheads and being winners. Sean Spears' face when Justin Roberts is being made to do that. Even Justin Roberts, who, if he's got the wrong tone, 
where he's not being a professional despite his like complete intolerance towards what's going on. He can't do it in a certain way, otherwise he doesn't feel like a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. He, like Justin Roberts was incredible in this segment as well. Sean Spears' face, hilarious. MGF cutting a promo, resonating like nothing less as the biggest heel in all of professional wrestling yeah. right now, which, to be fair, is kind of doing a number on Adam Cole big time. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to... I love Adam Cole. We all love Adam Cole. Nice guy, great talent. This is simply the form that MGF is on. Like, he's absolutely incredible. CM Punk doesn't come out with a microphone in hand. Part of the show, I just grabbed one. It was lying around. Or, oh, it was handed to me because I'm literally doing a scripted segment. He gets Shivani to do it. Like, lovely little touches. A lot of work went into doing something that never makes any sense ever. Um, I even love the idea that MGF could issue this challenge to CM Punk and see how those, the only two guys that are willing to hang around this complete prick, this toxic backstage presence once upon a time, you're not having them, so you've got no one. Eddie Kingston said as much. Continuity. And then John Moxley, the guy who any other corny promotion would have CM Punk bury for his issues with alcohol. Yeah. Instead, they subvert that because AEW at its best is still fucking amazing, and their mates, and he supports them. The best possible version of something I hate. I don't hate that thing as much as Sidgwick, so as a result, this was just the best possible version of a thing I mostly love. <laughs> like, for all the reasons, my esteemed colleague has just given on all those individual performances. So much to love. So, so much to love, as there has been through MJF versus CM Punk. I, considering how much, how, how much less time there's been to invest in this, with, um, you know, like Kenny Omega and Hangman Page existed so like before, during, and after AEW, all those fan-made videos and all the ways in which you could fan-cast every little detail of Omega page shows that it's just a credit to Kenny Omega's long-term thinking as much as it's AEW's ability to harness that into a, a match that can sell a pay-per-view. This is far more traditional pro wrestling. You put two guys together when it's the right time to put them together because they're natural rivals, knowing that you're going to draw money with them, and then you map out, you go at the end, and then you work backwards and say, right, how are we going to do this, this, this? And you can see it, and you can feel it, and that's why all the stuff makes sense and everything's really tight. And it's for me, it's already feeling on a par with that. And that's just how things work. Sometimes something that's two months can be as powerful as something that's gone two years just because of the chemistry of the guys or just because of the content and the quality of the promos. All of this feels so rich. It all feels so dense. Nothing, Everything feels thought about, you know, like the point about, I was going to make the same point about dragging Shivani. He doesn't come out to music. He doesn't come out with a microphone. He comes out to interrupt a thing because MJF genuinely believed that nobody would have the goal to interrupt this thing. The idea that MJF is celebrating this victory, this is like... This, this used to be Pro Wrestling Basics, but it's been abandoned, so I feel like it's worth saying again. The extent to which MJF celebrated this victory puts over CM Punk, because this was a bigger celebration than winning a world title. Like, without realising it as the heel, he's inadvertently saying, this is everything that I beat this guy. But he would never outwardly say that, yeah. but his actions have shown it, and that's really cool too. Um, the mention of um, Piper, as kind of like Cedric was the first to acknowledge, the idea that there's going to be some sort of tie in the dog collar match. I think he's going to come out in the tartan or he's going to wear the kilt or he's going to have a hot rod MJF, something like that, you know, just a needle at Punk. He's going for all of his favourites. He's mentioned Brett again. This is not for now. This is for later. This is for when he feuds with Hangman Page over the title because who was the man in the middle of them holding the belt the first time that they both said they were going to win the belt? It's Brett Hart. That's going to happen. Brett's coming in. He's been coming in since CM Punk made the first nod. That's going to happen. So none of that feels wasted. Wardlow's acting was absolutely sensational. Uh, I feel like we've been isolating that week after week, but it's because it just, like, sorry to burst the bubble of the Alexa Bliss fans, but probably fans of other wrestlers. Most wrestlers can't act, and that's okay. They're wrestlers. 
Wardlow can, and I mm-hmm. think that's why it leaps out so much because not everybody can handle the nuance required to um, like portray this role for as long as they're asking him to portray it and yes. continue to be believable. That's the hard part. Slow burn. Yeah, he's making it look super easy. Um, every allusion to CM Punk being lonely in the locker room is absolutely fascinating because it makes you think so much more about the interior lives of all of these, not just Punk, but of all of these characters. Who is really friends with who backstage when like the lights aren't shining bright? Who have people got to speak to backstage? You see the alliances. It's the thing we've picked on before. Was it with Jungle Boy getting battered by the elite? It's like, where's your mate? Yeah. You know, like that's sort of, you, like with Punk, it's the coolest thing to think. Oh, where's your mates? Because you love him and you, you want to be his mate. If you could be in the building, you team with him, you know? And Moxley is the payoff. I like head to toe goosebumps when the music hit later on when it did. But then given enough time to think about it, the idea, well, well, who was the guy that went out there to put him over for being the bravest of us yeah. all when he went out? It was Punk and Moxley remembers. And it's not just a, a surprise pop. Babyface, Mega Powers, by the way, Mega Powers in Trump Plaza, no less. Yeah. The renamed Trump Plaza, the site of where the Mega Powers exploded. Oh, well, hang on a second. If you're going to drop that reference, then we better just give a quick nod. And God bless the United States. Yeah, give, <laughs> give a quick nod to that guy. <laughs> Doesn't get enough love. Um, aye. Just sublime. Sublime stuff. Look, this is, this feeds next level. I wouldn't even just say MJF's putting Adam Cole in his place. I'd put this feud as put the AW world title. Yeah. In, it, in its place. It's it's the hottest thing in wrestling, I think. I think that's absolutely well, fair Apart enough. from the fact they didn't draw. But then I love Brett and Sean, and they didn't either. So what's, what's, <laughs> yeah. that, even, what's that even mean? Not WrestleMania 12, though. No, well, no. Obviously <laughs> not. Um, so a stinging Darby Allen go backstage. Uh, they are confronted by Andrade El Idolo, who's still obsessed with buying the little kid, basically. Uh, and he's, he's, he's still confused. Uh, he knows... So am I. That, uh, <laughs> so, have a match. so wacky. <laughs> he knows that Darby Allen works for Sting, and Sting's like, no, we're just a team. You, you have to talk... To, if you want to buy Darby Allen, you have to just offer him money. You have to talk face-to-face, and money obviously doesn't affect Darby Allen, so it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, Darby Allen effectively says, look, enough of all this bollocks. I don't care about all this. All I care about is being the next TNT champion. And Andrade comes back and says, well, at least we've got something in common because I want to be the next TNT champion as well. I'm going to echo something I said on the Rampage review because Cedric wasn't in with us for that and I'm keen to get your take on my take on this. Um, We have for weeks said, it's all a bit wacky bollocks this in it i wish to buy that boy but it's okay because andrade versus darby allen is the match and it's pay-per-view ready and this is just a strange way they've arrived at it on rampage they showed me a match i realized i suddenly wanted more when he faced off with sammy guevara and all of a sudden andrade versus darby feels like the match to get to the match rather than the match and that's what wacky booking is and that's why when we enjoy taking the piss out of things on nxt 2.0 it's because none of this will ever draw a penny because it's there to be mocked this just solidified my belief. They showed me Darby Allen and Sammy Two Belts next to each other, and I thought, there it is. There's something that means something. This has been relegated, in my opinion, to that tier below. As good as this match will be, of course it's going to rule. It's going to be an it's going to be an absolute ripper. But it's a TV one. It's no longer one on one. I, unlike Andrade, do not wish to buy this anymore. It's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, it's going to be a great match. There's not there's not much emotional resonance to the storyline at all. They it's, kill it's very it. Silly. And the idea is, well, why work to this extent to get a match that will probably get, what, four and a, four and a quarter, four and a half stars? That's what it is, ultimately. Mm. A cool, very cool match. We see them on TV every week. <laughs> yeah. So there's no point in just spinning out the saga. 
Um, if this is all heading towards a multi-man face of the revolution in which it, we know Keith Lee, spoiler alert, is going to be in it, um, Darby Allen, Andrade, and it's all threading together, I guess Wardlow? Wardlow. I guess it's better than... Oh, here's six guys in a match, and they're going to brawl on the go-home show. Yeah. It's still not that great in itself. Speaking of Wardlow, uh, he was in action against the Blade next. Uh, the Blade actually tried to get a bit of advantage. He chopped Wardlow down from behind uh, before the bell, uh, but Wardlow... <laughs> Made of sterner stuff, he uh, pops up, takes him down, repeated suplexes, drives Blades back right into the ring post to take us to commercial. When we come back, um, Blades has got some offense in, but then Wardlow starts shrugging off some chops, gets hit with some knee strikes to put him down, but he catches the third one from the Blade, turns it into a powerbomb, and that commences the powerbomb symphony uh, for the victory. Puts his foot on the chest, one, two, three. Sean Spears, the little dick that he is afterwards, still twats Blade with a chair. Nothing new, no. but the purpose behind this is incredible. And if you go down the line here, the symph- symphony is the perfect word to describe this because it just loudens in volume every single week. Louder than the week before, which was louder than the week before that. They're banging into the super, uh, this powerbomb gimmick now. Bang into it. Um, people have said, are oh, they taking too long with the slow burn? No, they're not. Listen to the symphony. Like, listen to it. It's There was a lot to like about this, even though I actually thought this was... Too long. ...another impromptu match as well. But, because it wasn't announced beforehand, obviously, MJF's implication in the I promo... I think there was a graphic for this. Was there? Yes. Ah, see, I took that. I, I noticed only in retrospect. So I didn't see that, and I took this that MJF had kind of, like, been a bit of a dick to Wardlow. Anyway, like, thanks for all this, but suit up, because you're in action next. And I, in head cannon, had actually thought on the side... He'd got his old mercenary mate, the Blade, to say, like, stick a couple of stiff ones in if you like. You know, like he'd he'd mm-hmm. been the one that kind of orchestrated this, and that Wardlow He's was not promoting the show. <laughs> what? Yeah, but he, MJF books his own card. He never asks Tony. He never asks Tony card for permission <laughs> when he gets all these matches, does he? Like Wardlow came out um, in the gear without his tape, but he, you know, he wasn't ready, and yet he's still this awesome even when he isn't ready. So it's a really cool presentation of him. But I thought this was like the second of those. This has just happened because a wrestler has kind of made it so. And Wardlow's looked at this and thought, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And did it. You know, went away and did it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. Already now. Um, Intrigued to know your thoughts about the little video package we got next regarding Penta. He said uh, Malachi Black spit into his soul. Uh, He's got a shovel. Drags it across the road, goes into a cemetery, digs up a red and black mask. Is this some sort of gimmick change, you think? Has he been uh, changed by Malachi Black? No. Is <laughs> that a no that you don't think what's so? Wrong no, you hope just, not. What's wrong with just saying, here, man, my eyes hurt. <laughs> and Jack, I've gone blind, mate. Fuck, I've gone blind. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with just saying, I would like to get that prick back because he really injured my eyes. Like, I don't like how everyone... I don't think it's any... You know, that stupid bollocks. You know, the fiend changes everyone that he interacts with. <laughs> oh, yeah, that like, was a thing for a while, wasn't it? Was it was a thing, and to a degree... Didn't I've, you say, oh, yeah, he changed uh, Braun Strowman, made him dance? Yes, because he attacked Braun Strowman on Raw in, like, September 2019, I want to say. And then on SmackDown, he was dancing with the New Day in December. So I was like, ah, it's made him happy. <laughs> made, him, made him a bit jolly. So that was a little bollocks. He changed the narrative. Yeah, he changed the narrative. <laughs> I don't think they are quite doing that with Malachi Black. I just think they like the supernatural imagery associated with the super, uh, the Malachi Black character so that they then think everyone has to cut promos 
adjacent to the aesthetic, and it's just a bit... I personally don't hate it, but it doesn't do anything for me no. either. Yeah, I want to be more into this than I am, but I've kind of lost faith in AEW with regards to the Malachi Black adjacent imagery. Penta's awesome. Like, I, I've wanted a proper Penta singles run where they give him a real go as this, like, awful, cruel, arm-breaking monster. It's not happening. And right? it's n- never going to happen in AEW. But then I feel like this is an exhibition that it might. But, like, it's, I don't know. I just I don't, like, really have faith in them with him or with the, the dark imagery. That it, I'll tell you who I've got more faith in them getting this over with. I've been quite enjoying the bits I've seen on Twitter of Julia Hart. I was literally just about to mention that. Like, they, I saw a lot. And typically, I, I don't, don't go looking. So it must be people retweeting and other people are into it. I'm not some sort of tastemaker or anything like that. There, there was a wasn't just the she mimicked the pose in the match and obviously she's wearing the eye patch she did her entrance and the blondes didn't necessarily come out with her so she took a jacket off went and handed it to somebody and nobody was there so she just had to let it drop to the floor and then went in the I ring went out. I know. <laughs> and i thought like so it's not just like the juice has gone from her eyes to her brain it's that she's also feeling rejected by the varsity blondes and it's not just it's not just like a physical thing with the eyes it's a mental thing as well like she's actually thinking is the house of black better for me than these complete losers who he's vicious he's in matches, hasn't she yeah like so they can do it i just they probably never will with penta well this is the thing is i was i'm literally about to say that as you said that is i was like i'm not a fan of almost any of this as we've been through I want the House of Black to do well in terms of, I just want to see those two just wreck everyone in the tag division, probably win the tag titles. But I'm not bothered about them changing people. So you like like the Kings of the Black Throne, but you're not skin on the House of Black. Yes, basically. (laughs) But I don't mind them changing Julia Hart. I like that. But I don't feel like Penta needs changing. I like Penta as Penta is. I don't think they're changing them. I just think that everything to do with Malachi Black, it's very superficial. Let's make it a bit spooky. It's not changing anyone. He didn't change Park. His eyes are fine. <laughs> and he was doing something similar to this in a pre-tape not too long ago. It does that thing that wrestling shouldn't do as well, which reveals the tears because main eventers wouldn't piss around with any of this stuff. Like, absolutely not. CM Punk would not, like, get misted and then go to a graveyard. He would say, well, like, I didn't like what you did to my eyes. It's going to take this weeks to recover and I want to fight you, even if I've only got one eye. That's the difference. Some wrestlers would just say no to this. Mm. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, next we got the Inner Circle team meeting. Uh, it was Attendance was mandatory, of course, but outcomes just Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Jake Hager, two Judas, of course. Uh, they got the Inner Circle original vests on. Uh, Jericho gets on the mic and says, I haven't seen Santana Ortiz all day. And then they immediately walk out with their own new music. Um, Jericho's furious, he says to Santana and Ortiz, they need to explain themselves regarding not, you know, not allowing the people to see Chris Jericho in a match, not tagging him in a couple of weeks ago. It was disrespectful. And Santana told him to shut up at that point. Says, look, you only care about yourself. The inner circle have only been here to serve your interests. He says, anytime we go after the tag titles, it gets shut down just so we can back you up. He says, the days of us playing second fiddle are over and done with. The only thing that really kept them going involved in this is the fans. And if it wasn't for this guy, points to Ortiz, he, Santana, would have dropped Jericho a long time ago. And Jericho fires back, saying that Santana reminds him of Eddie Guerrero, but uh, he's making a mistake turning to Eddie Kingston amongst all this. Jericho describes himself as an influencer, he says, since the two of you came to AEW, since you, you know, we joined up, and like you say, on the opening Dynamite, uh, opening AEW show, we came together. We've main evented sh- TVs. We've main evented pay-per-views. You've challenged for championships. We've all challenged for certain championships. Uh, you've already challenged, I don't know what you complain about, for the AEW tag team titles. You fought the Young Bucks, and you failed, he says. And he says that maybe I could kick you out of the inner circle. Maybe I invited the wrong two members of LAX to join. And this fires them all up. And Santana grabs Jericho and Jericho says, go on, take a swing. But Sammy Guevara breaks them all up. Jericho tells him to shut up as well. To which Sammy Guevara says, look, all this bickering, all this infighting, this isn't going to help any of us, especially not going to help me. Uh, accomplish what I want to accomplish. He says, I've quit this group before. Unless you guys can figure it out, I'll quit again. And he takes off the vest, leaves it in the ring, and walks off. Uh, Ortiz says, look, Eddie Kingston was a brother in arms. And where we come from, we deal with our problems with our fists. So how about next week, Santana and Ortiz versus Jericho and Hager to settle it. And Jericho says, yeah, maybe after I smack your faces around, you'll have an attitude adjustment because if you don't, We're going to have to make some changes. Next week, attendance is mandatory, says Jericho, to close the segment. I absolutely love this. I absolutely love this. And I think it was because it featured Chris Jericho and wasn't tone deaf. And I can't remember when I last had that sensation. The the influencer thing immediately, like if you've watched enough Chris Jericho, immediately feels like he's binned off one catchphrase and he's happened across another because if this wasn't the heel turn, the heel turn is incoming or the acknowledgement that the babyface character was completely out of juice. You know, he introduced Influencer about the same time as GFY, but it certainly felt like one was already dying on the vine, so he's phased that out and he's brought in this new one and that's the one that's going to stick. That's happened throughout Jericho's career where one has failed so the other one can go and thrive. Um, And I just love that it felt like the guy that so often has like reinvented himself by having his finger on the pulse, has actually found the pulse again when it seemed lost for good. Mm. As again, it always does with Jericho, always feels like he's like completely lost touch and then he finds it. Um, a couple of just really great details that showed you the thought behind all of this. What a dickhead to go and double check when it was that 
LAX lost to uh, Pride and Powerful lost to the Young Bucks. Like what a prick move! He had that in his back pocket as a just in case. He didn't want it. You know, he's called this team meeting to bring them all together, but he's had it in his back pocket that he's documented when they lost to the Young Bucks. What kind of arsehole actually brings that to what was supposed to be a reconciliation? Unless he's more than prepared reconciliation to, <laughs> to, get, <laughs> to get a bit snippy with them. Like Proud and Powerful were acting defensively, backs up, supporting the mate, all that kind of thing. Jericho was ready to have a few digs, mm. be a bit cheap, you know, like kind of undermine this um, this idea that he was somehow being the bigger man when like, it's just nice for a change that Chris Jericho isn't the bigger man in a situation. So it was just like really great to watch play out. You know for a goddamn fact he's toned down. I think he's looking amazing. I, d- I don't know to what you're referring to. I think he's been looking great for several weeks. I, I, in fact, I believe I said it on a podcast just around Christmas. Yeah. It's, it's telling that he's been getting into shape and that is cool. Um, is it because he can't really say it to Eddie Kingston without a straight face? <laughs> I never thought of that, but yeah, he's probably looked at some of the side-by-sides or something. Oh, he's 51. It's ridiculous. Or 50 or whatever it is. And just to acknowledge that come the day, Eddie Kingston is going to get cheered and you're not, is such a vital turning point for this feud. And I'm just so glad we actually got to watch it happening. This is really, really strong. It's the best thing Jericho's been involved with since the MGF feud. Um, the escalation of the tension felt organic, mm-hmm. the frustrations, like each side had a salient point, which is like imperative because you don't want to telegraph who's turning heel. You want to be taken on a ride, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to do that when the destination is so goddamn obvious, unless you really want that destination, but that's an incidental by-the-by thing. When they did that match and Jericho didn't tag in the other week and he hit him with the, uh, the Judas effect, I thought, that's cute. It wasn't electrifying, but it's a cute story beat. Jericho pointing it out sparked something. There's a story, and he's told it on Talk as Jericho or the Edge podcast quite often, where CM Punk at a house show, right, took a huff because Edge and Jericho were watching hockey before their match with CM Punk and John Morrison. I don't know who was on either side. I think Jericho and Edge were on different sides, but whatever. Um, it's not real. So they <laughs> were watching the hockey, and CM Punk was like, to prep the match or, or whatever. This is not Punk's perspective. You might have a completely different side of the story, but this is Jericho and Edge's. So Edge and Jericho are like, that's just how show we're professionals. We can go out there, call it the ring 12 minutes or whatever. According to Jericho and Edge, CM Punk deemed them unprofessional and refused to tag Jericho in. Oh, so obviously it was Punk and Jericho mm, versus yeah. Edge and Morrison. And uh, Jericho was like, you know, I'm not being funny. I'm a bigger star than you at this stage of their careers. People might have bought tickets to see me and just deprived them of that because you're in a huff. And then they folded that into the storyline here <laughs> to advance this. I thought it was genuinely, I think that was a genuine deep cut. It's great that, yeah. It's exactly the sort of thing that we know would bruise Chris Jericho's ego for it to not happen. Just a wonderful little, like, again, when they put so much thought into something like that, such a deep cut, and then they just do, I just do the sixth backstage interruption. Oh, I don't know about that, QT Marshall. Is that too many? Oh, it's not that big a rating, so we're quite far away from a pay-per-view. Yeah, just do it. It pisses me off when they do this because I hold them to a higher standard. And the reason why I hold them to a higher standard is because of segments like this. And it wasn't even the third best thing on mm. the night. Really, really enjoyed this for all the reasons you just laid out. I had one big issue with it. Can you guess what it is, Michael Sidgwick? Chris Jericho wearing shoes that belong to a 25-year-old? No. <laughs> I was taken aback by them oh. shoes. Like. He's done this before, hasn't he? He likes those, like the is it the um, the, the bright coloured ones, but they're like 
like the is it like the or like you say that I don't know there might be Nike, but you just can't see the branding casually because it's all the same colour. Yeah, Love it's one that. of those. Well, it's going to do a podcast with um, Top Dollar in about two years. <laughs> and just say, you know, you're the kind of the last guys to, like, <laughs> to wear uh, really cool sneakers on our television. <laughs> problem I had is a problem I've had for a few weeks now, and I can't shake it. And I don't know why I've got such I, a big issue with this. Th- your hill to die on amazes me. This why is Sammy Guevara wearing two title belts? He was wearing what? <laughs> you know what? I even so gave it a pass. Looks when cool. Had, looks cool. But I give it a pass when he had them on both shoulders. Conor McGregor, Becky Lynch, whoever you know, whatever you think of when you think of double champions, right? He's not a double champion. He's a single champion with an interim championship that was a placeholder for the actual championship, which didn't need to happen because he was Cody's only offer a week, but whatever. I even was like, okay, well, that's a cool visual. This time, he's wearing it on top of it. So why is, why do you not just wear one? Why does he have to wear two belts? I don't understand this. It just looks cool. But it's point. It's not. I know. That's all I've got as well. By the way, I just thinks it looks looks cool. Just thinks it looks good. For my well-being, please just, I just wear one. You know, you, what are you? You're the TNT champion. Yeah, I'm also the interim TNT champion. What does that mean? You, if you're the TNT champion, it doesn't matter. What's he going to do? Defend two belts? I'll put the TNT Championship on it. I, I, I understand all of these complaints. So maybe it gives me a new perspective, or maybe my complaints aren't quite as uh, significant. Yeah. But they I are because they haven't done it in three years. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, a reason for that. Next up, yeah? the, uh, the uh, smelliest tag team of all wrestling, Rapongi Vice, were backstage. Oh. Uh, give me that. You, have, you, have you not heard this one from before? No. Neither that one to cheer myself back up. And. Oh, how have I not heard that? Was that I missed the... It's not even the, uh, the the smelliest tag team in AW. That'd be the Dark Order. They're gonna. I'm so sorry. They're gonna face the Young Bucks. Wasn't that Orange Cassidy's uh, Chikara gimmick? The Order Rant. They're gonna face the Young Bucks on Friday on Rampage, which we will be previewing, of course, tomorrow. Um, Young Bucks walk up. They fancy getting into it right now. And Adam Cole attacks Rapongi Vice from behind, and they manage to hit the BTE trigger on Rocky Romero. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Switchblade JY shows up and uh, sends Trent into the truck that they're stood next to, to to lay him out. Adam Cole can't believe his luck. The Young Bucks, not so much. We'll re- revisit this a little bit later on in the show. Can but I talk about it now before I forget? Yes. Do you there's want, there's things you... about this specific segment I would like to point out for great details. And, oh, wait, lads, you've missed a, an open goal here. So I'll, I'll run through what happened. Later on in the show, Bucks are there talking. They've got the Brandon Cutler gimmick thing. Uh they're going to beat Rapongi Vice. They're going to set their sights on the tag team titles. And uh, Cole said, great news, boys. Jay White's going to be in your corner. And they go, huh? What's this? Not sure about it is the best way of putting it. And Cole said, don't worry. When you're Bullet Club, you're Bullet Club for life. What do you make of all of this, Sige? They missed an open goal. I understand why they didn't do it, because they wanted to preserve the Keith Lee thing. But debuting Jay White in a pre-tape, depriving him of, like, a huge pub, it's just a bit... I don't know why they did that, to be perfectly honest. I understand they tried to do a little bit of theatre with the, the slow realisation of, what's that on his jacket? Oh, that's Jay White. But ah, give the guy an arena goddamn pop. I would say that was done for Keith Lee's benefit. Yeah, but They were going for the, he, he likes the doubler, doesn't he? Like, you thought this was a surprise, this is a surprise. And I thought that was to maximise Keith Lee's response. I get it. And the fact he buggered up and said gonna the person get, was going to come through the forbidden door and they were free He was going to get a massive response anyway, and mm. Jay White would have got a massive response anyway on a different week, and now no one's talking about Jay White. 
I was talking about Keith Lee because mm. it was so incredible. So I just would not have done this personally. Yeah. They've done Double Your Fun. There's Adam Cole. And goddamn Brian Danielson before in better ways. There's a good and bad version of everything. We say this quite often. One thing I loved. And it's just like CM Punk, Kenny Omega level details work. Of course the books are capable of this. They're geniuses. They are geniuses. They're EVPs. Of course they're going to be privy to the format. So they've decided to say, I just uh, had a little cheeky look at the format and uh, we decided to interrupt. Great. They're not just lurking. Oh, where's the guy I'm feeding with this week? <laughs> How am I going to get on television? They just thought they'd be dicks about it. Little, little, this, I like that little kernel of thought. Um, I also love in general the idea of Adam Cole who wishes to obviously take the elite from Kenny Omega, foreshadowing and mirroring all of this with the last guy who quite famously had designs on taking over a stable. Beautiful touch. Fascinating thread. All of this is great, apart from Jay White possibly shouldn't be treated as a guy who's... Oh, here's what you actually want. It's Keith Lee. He should have had a debut on a different show. Yeah, Khan said that the reason why he only got Switchblade on Sunday, and that was because he suddenly realized that his tweets alluding to a forbidden door arrival weren't Keith Lee. He's a free agent. He was released by WWE. That's not a forbidden door arrival. Now, <laughs> like you say, I just thought, okay, I get it, but Jay White's arrival in AEW shouldn't be a make good for a bad tweet. The solution is end the forbidden door, as a f- turn of phrase. Mm. We had some fun with it. It was like really suitable when it was like whoever who first said it, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. R- yeah, like so, like so ideal for the time. Um, it's become this. New Japan and AEW were not on good terms. That was it. Yeah, and it was like oh, we need them to pull it together because it's better for everybody, you know. And that was a thought from 2019 pre-pandemic, and then the pandemic has limited what you can even do with the New Japan relationship and all that sort of thing. It's just become shorthand for signing people or people coming from other companies. Like, you were seeing Forbidden Door on at WWE, pair of eyes, Mickey James announced the Royal Rumble. Like, that, that should have been the moment. That should have been the moment where the phrase... Jump the shark. <laughs> Jump the shark. <laughs> where, like, that should have been where it died, but we're stuck with it. Tony Collins wrapped himself up in knots, you know, on Twitter with it, and you get, uh, like, as a result, like, a pretty cool segment. The Jay White stuff, as you pointed out, when we were talking about this this morning, I'm interested in your extended thoughts on this, because we touched upon this in the office, the Jay White, Kenny Omega stuff is what feeds this Adam Cole thing. Like, Adam Cole especially later on saying, ah, it's all right, you bullet club for life, when uh, Kenny Omega inducted Jay White into the bullet club, and it was a swerve, and he turned in him and joined Chaos and ripped the T-shirt off. So that all of that is linked to this really rich New Japan history. Books even, I think, oh, Jay and Kenny got along all that well. And I'm going to say, it's fine, it's fine. As if to say care what Kenny thinks he's not here and I am so this is what we're doing I love all that I absolutely love it and then I was talking to you about this mm. over the desk this morning and you were like do you think they maybe should have mentioned that and yeah. I, I previously when AEW was a younger company you kind of can't you're stuck with everybody else's storylines and the hope that the fan base that are plugged into AEW are the fans that are already up on all this sort of stuff maybe you've got a point I don't know like how much more would have been derived from it had the Young Bucks made it clearer than just a little uh, cheeky nod there's a to balance. Armor. Yeah, there's a balance to be struck here. I'm not saying go full WWE, let's spoon feed this and every step of the way in video packages and what have you. I am aware of what happened with Bullet Club, with Jay White, with Kenny Omega, with the Young Bucks, Adam Cole, etc. But I'm only aware of that through my job, like 
before I started working here, I was, you know, very clueless about that sort of thing. And my only concern is, as they try and attract more and more, let's just say casual fans, hardcores are or what they are, I think it's a phenomenal story. The more you talk about it, the more I'm like, oh, this is going to be even better. Now you've got that and Red Dragon and books, obviously all that issue. I just think maybe, and there's still time. I'm not saying, well, that's the bugger up. There's still time to absolutely not even recover or fix this, just to expand on it. What do you reckon, Sage? Let intelligent people infer the story, Beats, and leave the morons to enjoy that WWE. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, in summary, I think it's just nice to see, you know, Tony Khan sometimes recognise he's made a mistake on Twitter and apologising for it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> face the revolution match. Qualifier next. It was Isaiah Cassidy versus Keith Lee, as we have mentioned, who get a snap crackle and huge baby basking his glory chants uh, he looks great he walked down and I thought yeah really wouldn't have released him if I was running a wrestling company anyway he comes down and uh, has the match that Michael Sidgwick booked do you want to talk us through it yeah absolutely <laughs> I've been saying all week that Tony Khan A doesn't do things at random I'll just put Eddie prelim heel against the debut baby face he looks for characteristics he looks for what in what way would these two acts complement one another? He's incredible at putting opponents in the same ring and indeed tag teams and stables together. You'd never expect to have chemistry. Like Tony Connor's a genius at this, genuinely. Like look at Christian Cage and Jungle Boy. You were like, all right, kind of works this. And then it's like, oh, Jungle Boy's got like this kind of scathing deadpan sound bite deal with him now because he's learned it from Christian and it really suits him and it's so much better than the kind of earnest. Young guy, he couldn't be forever. What an inspired pairing. And I thought, what's the significance of Isaiah Cassidy here? And how might it clue us into who's going to be the mystery signing? I'm thinking, what's well, Keith Lee? Isaiah Cassidy got it. Isaiah Cassidy squeals when he bumps, and it makes it sound that bit more perilous, which accentuates how amazing his vertical leap is. Well, Keith Lee's going to do something horrible to him, and it's going to look and literally sound more horrible with his incredible leap and squeal. Oh, and goddamn behold, <laughs> that's exactly what happens. I'm good at this, you know. You are. I'm good at this. So listen when I say things you might not want to hear on Twitter. You go, Babies. I like this show. It was really, really good. And eight out, you know when people say, I know, three and a half star match is good. If you give WWE a three and a half star match, it's a good rating. It's one star above average. It means literally above average. I've said this show was very good. Mm. I give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, it's not a 4. It's not a 5. It's not a 5 and a half. It's not a 6. It's not a 7. It's an 8. It's too shy of best. Too shy of the best <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. Anyway. Touch grace. Touch grace. It's a shout out to Renee Paraket who's been listening. See that? I mean, I've heard, heard about that. <laughs> I mean, I made, I booked this match, but I didn't invent the phrase touch grass. No, but she's picked it up through listening to us because she's like, I've got to listen to the best podcast to see what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, get some tips. You go up the podcast charts, is that right? So you listen to the one above you, mm. which is why we don't listen to any podcast. <laughs> People say, other, other dickhead. No, you're not dickheads, just like be nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> other dickheads, no, some dickheads will say, uh-huh, you're reaching, bro. You're reaching, bro. God damn, bro, you're corny. <laughs> corny ass. Corny ass, bro. <laughs> This was beautiful perfection. This Keith Lee debut was beautiful perfection. I genuinely... Sad like the man himself. Yes, beautiful <laughs> perfection. <laughs> I genuinely wasn't the biggest Keith Lee guy in NXT. I thought they'd 
WWE'd them a little bit before the main roster when they really WWE'd them. I thought they WWE'd them too much on even NXT. I loved a lot of what he did. I think generally the best thing Keith Lee did in his entire WWE career was the last three minutes of that Roman Reigns match. In NXT, I just thought, don't make him a bit boring, a bit bland, a bit transitionally stuff. Just do bombs, do bombs. I felt just imagine his Twitter title being transitionally. Transitionally. <laughs> I fell in love with PWG Keith Lee. And I got more on that and then some tonight. He the yeet was fantastic. His <laughs> strength combined with the side Cassidy's leap, unbelievable. Keith Lee just having like a smile on his face, but he didn't do the whole Ruby Soho hugging the ref. It's like, calm down, I know your mates fucking backstage, you're a professional. Mm. He um just smiled as if to say, I thank you for believing me, sort of thing. I'm now gonna play my role as this like invincible guy who can do unfathomably cool things but he, uh, the rye smile was nice tits out Keith Lee fantastic <laughs> I don't want to see him in a t-shirt I like his tits I like his belly drew that out as well didn't he I yeah. appreciated that he waited to unzip you know it was like the Okada Long Boys thing wasn't it you know yeah. it's like there's a pop in this and I know there is and I'm going to get it so I really really appreciated that the heat was great the fact that he's had a genuinely profound health scare a lot of people were like Clearly, he's like an absolute slam dunk. Of course, he'd sign him guy. But then other people were thinking, well, he's had a major health scare. He didn't look that great in the Bearcat character. Well, nobody looks great in WWE. <laughs> Just watching the leapfrog drop down, yeah. how quickly he goes from his feet to that beautiful belly of his is always incredible. Another thing, he didn't do the moonsault because he's saving it. Yes. So not only does this, he does this incredible performance, I described it on Twitter and ups and downs and on this podcast. The mega fans will forgive me. He looked like he just thought from, he decided, ah, oh, the main roster's in my future. Mm. No, sir. <laughs> so he decided to cryogenically freeze himself yeah. and then think, Cryogenically. Oh, cryogenically. <laughs> cryogenically freeze himself and think, I'm just going to make it so. Make it so. <laughs> I don't want to take the piss out of him. So not to Because I fell in love with this guy all over yeah. again last night. He just, he basically, he was like 2017 or 2019 Keith Lee, depending on which is your favorite. And there he is again. And he's performing like it again. And it's wonderful to see him back. And he didn't do the moonsault because he's thinking, why give that away on week one? Why exactly, would I give yeah. that away week one when I can do my presence stuff? I can do other athletic stuff really well. The squeal for the um, ground zero, as I booked it, was incredible because I booked it. But just the little things like when Cassie was trying, like, right, I'm going to have to strike him now. The aerials aren't working, and I'm just getting bossed here. And then Keith was like, bang! He's like, boom, like, just fisting him right in his, like, knees. Like, oh, it's great. You can't do anything against Keith Lee because he's playing a monster very well. And when he plays a monster very well and he does the aerials, it's like, no one can beat this man. I said I could, didn't pick up that he was a monster because he didn't growl. Yeah. He didn't scream like a big jungle cat, so I didn't really... I this is true. This is true. One more thing before I stop gushing. Just the way everything was measured and performed. Just beautiful stuff. Mark Wen jumping at him and just Keith Lee catching him. I'm like, how do you do that? that how was did you do it? Was, it was genuinely like when that's the perfect word. Like I was amazed. Very rarely amazed by mm. things I see in wrestling anymore because you think you've seen it all. I was like, Ugh, that's awesome. <laughs> the way he like connected with Keith Lee and stopped dead. Like, Keith Lee didn't like he based himself for the catch. It, it was just, just like, like it, was a it, looked, it looked, looked real. Like, oh, I'll do this for real. Like, we haven't agreed this, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, he caught him, powered him onto on Cassidy, and then powered him, bonded him onto the apron just for good measure. Yeah, completely, like, totally awesome. Um, 
the what else was there from the match that I wanted to talk about? Matt Hardy's done with private party, isn't it? Yes, he walked out. So got a, a Hardy party to look forward to, I would assume. But that's uh, that's for another day. That's for Jeff coming in. The Keith Lee stuff was fantastic. I uh, loved him. Great to see him back, like you say. I think we've covered everything there. We then got a video promo for the Britt Baker Thunder Rosa Mercedes, Mercedes Martinez thing. Uh, it's going to be a no DQ match, Mercedes Martinez versus Thunder Rosa next week, which we'll, of course, cover in more detail on our preview next week. And then we got FTR versus CM Punk and a mystery partner, which was revealed, as we mentioned earlier, to be John Mox. Surprise! 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 <laughs> I mean, I love this. Yeah. It was a split second where I thought, oh, my God. Oh my god, it's going to be Hulk Cabana. And then Moxley's music here, and I was like, "Huh? Doesn't care. It's John Moxley. Here he is." I hit the goddamn roof. Cabana, I don't think they talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they would have done something by now. Um, Punk and Dax start us off. Uh, in comes Cash Wheeler, but no one can really establish an advantage. Moxley comes in, and him and Punk work together. Uh, FTR though use their tag team now to cause a distraction and take control, uh, and they go after Punk's leg. Eventually, Punk fights out of it, gets to Moxley, who takes out both of them. Uh, huge run of offense and a, a double DDT to finish it all off. He goes, considers going for a suicide dive, gets tripped, though. Uh, Punk uses a springboard lariat, go, wants a dive, but FTR catch him. Uh, but Moxley, a tope suicide, is on to everyone to take us into the break, during which Moxley got put through the timekeeper's table by FTR and just made it in at the count of nine. I got wound up watching that because I was like, oh, don't pretend. You've just brawled all over the place. So don't pretend like, oh, it's going to be counting out bollocks. Doesn't matter. Anyway, we come back. FTR, frequent tags, double teams, all the good stuff. Uh, they take out, or they isolate Mox- Moxley, sorry. Uh, and then he fights back. Atomic drop on Dax, a backdrop suplex on Cash. Um, but as he tries to get to the corner to tag Punk, Punk gets taken out of it. Uh, and then FTR hit a double-team leg drop for a near fall. Moxley fires up, though, gets Punk for the hot tag via a big lariat out of the corner. Uh, Punk hits his rising knee, and then his bulldog brings in Moxley, puts Dax in the electric chair. They hit a bloody doomsday device. Uh, Moxley hits Cash with a plancher. Uh, Punk covers, but just gets a shoulder up to a kick out at two. They go on the floor. Cash hits a swinging DDT um, on Mox, gets the ring bell. Punk goes to cover Dax, who kicks out. That sends Punk into the ropes, and he gets twatted by the ring bell. That gets a near fall. Punk goes to the GTS. FTR hit the big rig. One, two, Moxley comes in to break it up, which I believe was the first ever time someone's got out of the big rig. Yes, but it's not a kick out, so it's no, fine. Exactly. Um, Punk and Moxley go for their finishes. FTR fight out of them. They uh, go for the stuffed pile driver, but uh, Moxley breaks it up. Punk rolls through a crossbody, gets in the Anaconda device. Cash is there tapping, but the referee doesn't see it. Tully Blanchard enters the rings, enters the ring, distracts Punk. Punk eventually hits him with the GTS once he can get him up. Uh, Cash rolled up Punk with the tights for a great two count, uh, and then they both hit Moxley and Punk. That is GTS and the paradigm shift for the victory. Sitch. This was lush. This was such a great TV match. You could tell that they hadn't worked with each other extensively. There were kind of little moments particularly Moxley's break with the big rig, I think that could have been timed significantly better for the maximum drama. But notwithstanding that, this was tremendous. This is tremendous TV wrestling. I have issues with how they arrived at it. They could have arrived at it in a better way. A lot of people on Twitter have said something to the effect of they should have done it on Rampage, or as Hamphill pointed out, 
They should have had someone miffed that they got their opportunity from the show strike, and they usually think more about this. But this was so good that I just got out my bad mood. Keith Lee really got me out my bad yeah. mood with this. I just made us think, right, okay, stop being a dick. Just uh, correct, but stop being a dick. <laughs> just enjoy it. Just enjoy <laughs> it. Bitch, your brain up. Um, what I loved about this was, like, it wasn't worked like a Young Bucks match at all. It was far more intense. Uh, not that they don't do intensity, but you know what I mean. It was more like a brawling, intense um like for lack of a better word, proper old school yeah. tag team uh match. But it was kinda like the twists at the end with the teased stereo power moves of the GTS and the paradigm shift and how they done this stunning sequence where it was like, Oh, we're gonna get you with the submissions instead. Then the how they arrived back at no we're actually gonna win with the power moves. That was just delectable. That young book's level of like thought in terms of how you do a twist, how you think all hope is lost. No, it's back again. No, 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 all hope is lost again. No, it's back. Great stuff. There's one little spot I want to put over. Um the bit before the big rig, I don't think I've recalled in AEW history someone struggling to get out of a predicament as wonderfully and as convincingly as CM Punk did before. And it just informed the fact that the big rig, ah, he's finally being got. He was, like, struggling for a good minute to stop um, Cash from tagging in, Mm. to get out of the hole that he was in. Like, a minute-long, wonderful struggle to arrive at the big rig where you think, oh, the guy's fought for a full minute to get the rematch out of one spot. Can't do it. If it was like a last gasp save, that would have been incredible, but they kind of got the timings wrong. But otherwise, this is awesome. Yeah, end-to-end exhilarating, and to my taste, the best match FTR have ever had in AEW, I think, honestly. Like, I, I, there's nothing I can think of that is, as like, especially in the crowds, it's one thing about, you know, it's almost like a different set of parameters when you're talking about their dailies play stuff, but I can't think of anything they've done better than this. And I just think it's as much to do with um, what they bring to tag wrestling or what we once used to see them bring in every single week to tag wrestling. Coming up against big stars and big stakes, which is what all of this had, and it was just calibrated, I think, to so much more to FTR's pacing than some of their attempts to have what people consider FTR matches, if that makes sense. People had a certain expectation of the style, and it was almost feeling like a bit of a... Not a parody, but an homage to Southern Tag Wrestling rather than actually just doing Southern Tag Wrestling and modernising it as they'd done so well and so, like, like eloquently in NXT. I, like, I've, I've not seen as much of that, and this was a far more elegant application of it because of the fact they weren't fighting a proper tag team and the psychology. The internal logic of this match is tag teams should be able to beat two singles wrestlers. So that's why FTR stuff works so much better in the context of a match like this mm. than maybe it has done against the likes of the Lucha Brothers or whatever. But the stars and the stakes really did make all the difference. It elevated the whole thing. CM Punk, this is, I was going to say three weeks in three, but I guess it's three weeks in four. His selling is next level at the moment, more so than anybody else on this show. And I think that's why you feel so much for him and so much more for his struggle. I said at the start that MJF putting that win over made it feel like he'd won a title. MJF's desperation to fight MJF makes that feel like a title too. The the, the things that go in to their match or their matches now is powerful in a way that not much else in AEW mm. is and that's something that like every other feud should look at these are the, these are now the tapes to watch and this is a feud that we're living through which is really cool um i love so much the bond between moxley and punk as i said like why why it is that moxley has answered the call is bigger than what most pro wrestling companies have ever done but that's because they were big enough to send CM Punk out there in the first place so that feels totally earned and the finish my god Cedric putting over the sequence that's not like that played beautifully, but 
stereo finishers because that's how two singles guys beat a, yeah, tag, yeah. Beat a drilled tag team that are going to be there for the the, the interruptions mm. all day long. You've got to put the other guy out with your toughest move while I put the other guy out with my toughest move. The exact right finish for the exact perfect match. I adore this. CM Every Punk's a genius. CM Punk is a wrestling genius. One more thing, because this is just my wheelhouse. A guy on Reddit pointed something out, but I'm better than the guys on Reddit, so I'm going to point it out and add, add the detail that CM Punk is was wearing like his red tights. Is he's going back to the WWE wardrobe? He's cycling through his his old stuff again. We're away from long boy CM Punk's back to just remembering what his good looks were, and they used a side by side of him in in the red trunks. And um, what they didn't spot, but I'll give you it, and that's why he listens to the One Wrestling Podcast, is it was from the 2010 Royal Rumble. And why is CM Punk wearing the red tights? Because he looked in the locker room and he thought he had no friends, only foes. And it's John Moxley that's come because there is nobody else that CM Punk can turn to. That's why he's picked the red, because he thinks about these things. I was gutted that FTR didn't win this. <laughs> <laughs> I was genuinely halfway through thought, oh my God, it actually be really good when they're getting the near falls. I thought it was a sensational performance from all four gentlemen. Uh, like you say, I think FTR, one of their best matches in AEW. And they've been on fire for a while, sneakily on fire. If you look at Holiday Bash... If you look at the match they had against um, Brock Anderson versus Lee Johnson, which had no right to be as good as it was. Yeah. I think they've been on fire for ages. Uh, Punk and Mox, you know, what do you need to say about them, really? But halfway through, as they're hitting, you know, sneak, hitting him with a bell, for example, mm. or then hitting the big rig, my brain switched to, I think I want FTR to win this because I want to see how many more obstacles yeah. that they can chuck. You know, I know he's done right. You have to beat these people, and it's... You know, it's kind of, maybe looking back, it's a bit of a played out trope because he did it with Jericho, did the, you know, the, the toils and stuff that he had to go through there. And it's like, well, you know, what else has he really got to do? And Revolution's, what, less than a month away now, I think. Um, but it was a bit of me, it was like, come on, FTR, win this. And then, yeah, the, the ending sequence, I was like, I oh, don't care. I've gone from really hoping FTR win this to don't care because it was just jaw dropping that. There's a really sequence. nice detail you know that separates this from as you say the labors of jericho or the brian runs through the dark order or whatever the whole point of this is every time mjf thinks he can have the last word he's dealing with cm punk who will always always have that one last thing that he can say or do and he's done it again by saying i want to rematch with wardlow that's what's gotten under mjf's skin mjf is expecting him to say give me my rematch with you but because punk has thought about that he's always tra- like that's such a cool character choice that i think vindicates this feeling a little bit too neat maybe punk's very quickly got back to where he needs to be but he's done that because he's still smarter than mjf like his age and experience is trumping mjf sort of like youthful moxie a little bit which i just think is a, it's been the, the kind of the story of the story TBS Championship match next. It was Jade Cargill uh, defending a title and her undefeated record against AQA, who's the former Zayda Ramir from NXT. Uh, she got a little uh, inset promo talking about how she was trained by Booker T and Dynamite was the best place to go and prove herself. And she got wrecked. <laughs> Jade slams her straight away. AQA went for a key lock. Jade just powered, powered her up. Looked astonishing, as always. One arm slam. She kips up. Uh, AQA does her drop kick. Uh, but Jade takes it down with an elbow strike on the floor uh, ahead of the commercial. When we come back, AQA hits, uh, nails her with some strikes, hits a sling blade, floats over into a DDT, um, and hits a shooting star press for a two count. But when she went up for the second one, Jade just stood up, propped her in a corner, caught a crossbody, just spun around, slammed her down, and then picked up effectively her lifeless corpse at that point, Sige, and hit Jaded for the win. It's like a tour of the islands. 
that she's adopted. Yeah. 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 Or something similar to it. Um, I was really impressed by Jade Cargill here. It's funny because it's almost like watching an NXT 2.0 match where you know you're not going to get this incredibly immersive, believable experience worked by like two pros who know exactly what they're doing. You're watching someone who you know is very, very green and very rough, and you're just hoping because the investment has been made. I think Jade Cargill rules as well that, I hope this is better than the last one, I hope this is better than the last one, which theoretically is how you shouldn't watch wrestling. You should just get lost in the fiction of it. But the difference is the green people on NXT 2.0, they are desperately and futilely trying to turn into stars. Jade Cargill is a star first and a wrestler second, so it kind of works. I was impressed quietly with what was just a short match that I'll probably forget in however many days. But, like, so much of Jade's very early work, she kind of, like, she's in her head when she's going into a bump or she's, like, taking something where you can see her sort of moving. It's like it's not muscle memory for her whatsoever. She took an arm drag here, and it's like, you, you're getting this. You're actually mm, getting no, this all of the way. There was just something about the way she took the arm drag that I was really taken aback by. Um, they gave AQA more than a Jade opponent usually gets, which I thought was telling. I love the pop-up dropkick spot. There was really lots to like here. They even bought a shooting star press near fall. Um, there was a lot to like in this match, and it was just one of those where you think, this is why you watch a company that you trust, because Jake Hoggill in six months' time is going to be class. Not just a star who you enjoy watching and is getting there, but legitimately class. Yeah, like not... I can't pretend I was like glowing with effusive praise, but I really enjoyed what we saw. And maybe that's a compliment to Jade in and of itself, because there would have come a point where, like a few months ago, where like a, a half-decent Jade Cargill match, we were doing backflips over because we're all like willing to get better. And it almost, you're kind of like bordering on patronising the wrestlers, aren't you? And it's because you're seeing somebody that is still very new to it, still very green to it. On um, AQA getting more than the average, I loved the promo she cut. And you knew she was going... She's a bit of a lamb at the slot because she's a Jade Cargill challenger. But how the match was laid out and the uh, video we got on her before tells me that, all right, I'm probably going to have to go to Dark or Dark Elevation to see her. But she immediately felt like a project. Like, she will she will come again mm. and we'll remember this one go at Jade Cargill she had. And you'll see one week that she has a standout match against somebody on Dark or Dark Elevation. And I just, even like something, they've made loads of these really, really small steps with the women's division. And the promo before this match was like a, another example of that, I thought. And it's just, they just weren't doing the stuff like that before. These were complete strangers coming out there to lose to the stars. And then there was nothing about the arrangement of the matches was making you think you need to go watch them. I do want to sort of keep an eye on AQA. Mm. So they, this across the board was like quite a useful and economical like use of everybody. Well, this is where we got the uh, Young Bucks and Adam Coles thing with Brandon Cutler and Cole said, I've got to go and deal with something alluding to the main event. Before that, though, we got the Professor's five-minute rookie challenge with Serena Deeb uh, taking on Katie Arquette. She got a promo walking out to the ring saying, there's basically no one in the back who can keep up with me. Uh, and they put a five-minute clock on the screen and Deeb beat her in a minute. Uppercutted her, taunted her, neck breaker. And got her arm, spun her over, put her in the serenity lock, tapped, well, beforehand, tapped her hand to be like, that was light work. You haven't made it a fifth of the way. Put her in the serenity lock. 
Uh, Katie Ockett immediately taps out. As a Serena Deeb fan, did you enjoy this pamphlet? Yes, loved it. This was absolutely brilliant. This is what you do with this Serena Deeb character as well. Um, she shouldn't show any respect to these losers whatsoever. Um, it's not in her nature and the ability, le- the gulf in the ability is too big for her to sell for any longer than a couple of seconds. So put it, slapping a five-minute time limit on it and then doing it in 60 seconds, the, you might gradually see that increase to a minute tops and then... It's all about, and because it's AEW, you can completely trust that they will see this through. It's all about the eventual payoff, right? So when you've seen this before, typically it's a complete unknown that gets this amazing victory and they get a mini feud out of it. Me, myself, I would like to see, um, let's say, a masked woman have an attempt at the uh, beating the clock and losing and getting battered but coming close, and that masked woman having a masked accomplice. And then the next week, the masked accomplice has a go at it, and then she beats her, and then the mask comes off, and it's a Karashida. And that just helps you, but something like that. Yeah. But even if you don't do that, you definitely, definitely get somebody over when it's the person that beats Serena Deep. Love this. Uh, yes, this is excellent. There's a uh, thing in wrestling. Like, I love this show. I love this show. One of the reasons why is wrestling is meant to give you a range of emotions when you're watching the physical action. At one point with Keith Lee, I was astonished by the things he could do. With Serena Deeb, when she wrenched in that omelette or whatever you call it, I was like, ah, that person is getting incredibly, incredibly stretched Mm. and is enduring in this moment extreme pain. And I think the person applying this pain to her is very cruel and very hard. And I want to watch her win wrestling matches. Like, just the range of what they do, even on a show with one thing that I hated, is awesome. It was the best um, buffet dynamite in ages, this was, I yeah. thought. And I don't know if that was a credit to the formatting as well, but very little felt like the same back-to-back. Very little felt like, are oh, they doing this again? Are mm-hmm. they? Or like when we've had the weeks where there's been like repeated run-ins or opener and main event are great, the rest is all sludge. Or like there was Big guy versus little guy, one after another. Yeah, yeah, like everything felt different on this one. Uh, right, main event time. It was the Texas Death Match. Hangman Page defending the AEW World Title against Lance Archer. Oh, we didn't even get the entrances. This Lance Archer's meant to be making his entrance. We cut backstage, uh, and they're already brawling back there. Uh, Archer tries to choke slam Page off the stage. He fights back though. Uh, Page hits him with a belt shot and uh, sends him through the glass in the uh, entrance way, uh, busting Lance Archer open. Very lucky they had a camera behind there as well. Um, <laughs> Get into the ring. Page hits the buckshot lariat, but uh, Archer rolls to the floor and just gets up to uh, to beat the count. So Page hits a plancher on the outside, goes for a dive from inside the ring, and that's when Archer's reached underneath as he was recovering, grabbed a trash can leg and just twatted uh, Hangman Page as he came flying towards him. Dan Lambert then starts unscrewing the top rope uh, as Jake the Snake comes out to get involved as well. Um... Archer wants a choke slam on the floor, but Page pops up onto a railing and hits a moonsault. Uh, Page gets busted open over his eye. They're both pissing blood. There was a like screen of blood across Hangman Page's uh, face quite early on in this match. Uh, tables were set up at ringside. They sort of jockey for position on the apron. Uh, Page tries to boot him into them, but then Archer counters and sends Page into the turnbuckle. Uh, then Jake the Snake gets involved and nails Hangman Page with a short arm clothesline. He goes for the DDT, or he calls for it, I should say, but Archer stops him and that allows Page to hit a DDT of his own. Uh, when we get back in the ring, Page gets his hands on 
kendo sticks to twat Archer with, who completely no-sells them. He catches one of them, though, and chokeslams Paige through a trash can. Then he grabs a fork and just stabs Paige in the head with it uh, and hits a cannonball. His cannonball sent onto the floor. Oh, and he licked the fork clean, by the way. Yes. Archer chucks a load of chairs into the ring, and I'm thinking, all right, isn't that enough? Oh, no, because there's one here with barbed wire on one side of it. And then he does that brilliant spot where he props up the steel steps on their side. And I said it in, in the office when I was watching it earlier, just bounced Paige off them with the blackout. Bonkers, that. Uh, goes to the powerbomb in the ring, but as he goes to lift Paige up, Paige grabs the barbed wire on the chair and just starts elbowing him with it whilst the wire is wrapped around his forearm. Um, German <laughs> suplex. Uh, and then in a mint spot, because obviously they've taken out the top rope uh, to be make sure Hangman Page is unable to hit the bookshot like it. So instead, he vaults over the referee who's getting involved, getting rid of the barbed wire chair or whatever, vaults over him, Buckshot Lariat, uh, Lance Archer, that sends him through the tables that were set up on the floor. Page just makes it up at the count of nine. Lance Archer stays down. Hangman Page wins the Texas death match, covered in blood, retains the AEW world title. And just as he's celebrating, who comes down to the ring, Sige? But one, Adam Cole. And he simply picks the belt up and plunks it on Hangman Page's shoulder. And that is all that needs to be said, really. I think I like the show more than half because I thought this match was incredible. <laughs> I thought this was so stunningly put together. Consider what Archer was like two weeks ago or three weeks ago against Kazarian to this. And you realize, oh, Hangman Page is it. Hangman Page is the champion. Hangman Page is the guy who can make every match he's in, irrespective of his opponent, how hot they are, where they are positioned on the card, and make it feel massive. This was awesome. I loved so much the spot early when they're in the crowd. And he goes to do the choke slam, and he just finds a ledge, the most precarious place possible. And the execution of that moonsault was incredible. Lance Archer is at his best when he's playing this, not cartoonish, but like pretty theatrical idea of a monster. And him licking the blood off the spoon like it was a death row meal was just absolutely unbelievable. The spot with the ropes and Lambert was perfect. Like, absolutely ingenious because you enter this match in your rational head thinking, Page is winning. Make me doubt that. Like, make me think he can't win. So they take away his finisher. Like, Jesus Christ, that's so unbelievably clever. And it's the kind of intelligence I associate with Hangman Page and the chase and all the rest of it. He was never not going to have a fantastic match with Brian Danielson. So for me, the idea of him being the champion and how much this has worked so far was a little bit... Well, he's not really been tested yet. He's been given, like, the most beautiful Rabona assist possible to stick it in the back of the net. You know he's going to do that. I'm thinking, how is he going to do this with Lance Archer? And that would have been his idea because he's one of the cleverest guys in the entire game. So the idea was, well, I still think he's going to win, but what's the finish? Like, what's the finish? I can't wait to get to this finish. And then they do that finish. It's absolutely incredible. You've seen, I presume, because everyone on the planet has, the 1997 James Cameron-directed motion picture Titanic. Yes. I have indeed. You've seen it? Yeah. There's a death, and it's really funny. There's this death in Titanic. It's not the real one. Relax, but it's really funny. <laughs> when the guy, like, falls off, he goes, dink! It's like the best thing I've ever seen. I remember I was like 12 in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like heartbroken at this tragedy. I just pissed myself <laughs> laughing. I'd watch the whole thing again just to go, think me. <laughs> I reckon James Cameron's like in post. They're thinking, that's too funny, isn't it? And it's like, I but like think about it. All the lasses will want to watch the romance, but got to give something for the lads. <laughs> what about a really funny death? 
Did you uh, did you see? Uh, I'm not saying that women can't laugh at black comedy. I'm saying that's their perspective. Anyway, did you see Monday Night Raw the other week with that guy hitting the other guy with a bedpan? We need to get that noise and we need to put it in our film. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That blackout spot had the same kind of visceral like, ah, oh, well, it's a hard way to die, but it's a funny one at the same time. <laughs> that was such an inspired spot. Hamman Page is unhinged as well, which helps put over like the drama of a death match or a yeah whatever this match was. Excalibur sounded horrified, and there's so much gravitas to Excalibur specifically acting horrified mm. and believably like I think that was a genuine reaction because this guy called every single Young Bucks guerrilla warfare match in PWG like incredible spots that became like a pissing contest amongst the boys to do the ma- maddest stuff possible in PWG. And Excalibur was like, Jesus Christ, that one's a bit much. So that really put that over. And the commentary team, I thought, were great throughout, particularly Drew and Keith Lee. We should put them over for that. Um, just the way they did start to finish, what's the finish? Like, this match was awesome. I loved it. Hamlet didn't. That's all right. <laughs> I, I, I thought the finish was absolutely fantastic, right? But what I love, like, so like well thought through really intelligent the kind of thing you could never predict and now it's happened you'll predict it all the time and it might never happen again that's how good this finish was somebody needed to think of this once and whether or not it was for this match or for another time and they've just been saving it an inspired deployment of a great idea because we've talked we've seen before about how like you have to target so many body parts of hangman pages to stop him hitting the bookshop there's this there's this there's this and this because mm. the nature of the finisher yeah. right so instead they've gone down a different route and again it's out it's almost a little out of desperation but the the confines of the match allows for it so the circumstances are really perfect for this um such admiration for it and because obviously it inspires creativity with the finish with the referee had that referee spot not happened nothing in this match, nothing to me would have been as memorable as the fire in the Cody, Cody Andrade match, right? And both of these matches were more violent than the Lights Out match we got two weeks ago. The point I'm making here is that I think AEW have got a significant discipline problem. I'm not a safety police guy, particularly. I am not, and I wasn't at the time, I want to point this out as well, ladder matches to set up war games, right? So I, we were even then we were highlighting, well, there's not a lot of heat to this. So you're just throwing weapons at the problem and you're solving it with, with violence on the mm, night. You're solving it yeah. with blood or whatever. That's what this scanned out to me. Like, I enjoyed it enough in the context of a show that I'd enjoyed very much. If this had been a bad dynamite, I, c- I know enough about my subjective taste that I would have had far less investment in it than I did because I was genu- generally on a high from this episode and I was like, I'm going along with it. Um, yeah, this is way more lights out than the last couple of lights out matches they've promoted. This is the norm. So I wasn't particularly... F- I felt like I was watching violence tacked onto a few that needed something to be, like to bring it to life. I like, deeply, deeply admire Hangman Page for what he does in these matches. Um, and yet I don't think this is a good title run. It's just the strangest thing. It's the strangest thing. He looks like, yes, he's had this challenge of Brian Danielson and now he's had this challenge of uh, Lance Archer and he's going to have to get in there and prove himself a bigger star than Adam Cole is. I think that's going to be the, the narrative they're going to go with. Like, you have to mute, you have to do gory self-mutilation on television to get yourself over, Hangman. All I have to do is say my own name. Mm. You know, I'm the guy that should be wearing your title. They're going to play with star power, I think, for these, you know, this battle of these two wrestlers. The same but different, these two guys. And it's going to be yet another thing that he checks off to prove himself as the great world champion. But I, like, had AEW not done this, all this stuff, so much, so, so much, I probably felt a little bit more for it because I don't think it's Hangman Page's fault. I think he's doing a great deal with stuff that they are elsewhere. Like, 
Why did Cody and Andrade need to go through fire? You take that away, that's one less incredibly violent spectacle that we've had to make this violent spectacle a bit more meaningful. I would agree with all of those takes if the violence wasn't so awesome and cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, let us know your thoughts uh, on this match and the entire show, in fact, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... Hamlet's just a bitch. He didn't even like the Moxley Omega lights out match. I didn't like that match. Before they'd even done the violence a lot anyway. You like the... uh, Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker. Yes. Thought there was more story to that than the Moxley made going outside of the bit where he was crawling through the glass. Really appreciated that. Thanks, Sidgwick. At M. Sidgwick. After, after Sidgwick told me to appreciate it. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't see it when I was watching it then. And, and I was uh, like, oh, yeah, you, you were right. Yes. I, um, that was, that was the real question. I didn't get the chain wrestling bit until you <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Twitter. <laughs> uh, so that's good. Uh, if you like AW, why not get Michael Sidgwick's brilliant book, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AW, on Amazon. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. I've just shortened it down. Adam Wilborn. No, anymore, you haven't. Oh, bollocks. <laughs> Done it again. We're going to do it anyway. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all. It, sh- it should come before. No, it is. <laughs> follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, the uh, AW Rampage preview with myself and Michael Sidgwick tomorrow. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.